I'm Tanya, and you are listening to Season 2 of Human and Holy, a podcast where we discuss spiritual ideas in human terms. Today's episode is sponsored by Jaden and Zoe Markovitz in honor of the fourth yard site of their father, Yosef Raphael ben Pesach Aharon, also known as Jojo Markovitz, whose yard site is on Bayes Thomas. The dedication reads, may they always bring Nachas to their daddy in Shemayim as they continue to grow into the wonderful children they are becoming. May Yosef Raphael's neshama have an aliyah through the learning and growth done through this episode. Today's episode is also sponsored by Jaden and Zoe in honor of the Rebbe's Yardside, which is on Gimel Thomas. Thank you to our sponsors for making today's episode happen. If you would like to sponsor an episode in honor of a birthday, a yard site, someone you love, or just to support the work that we're doing, please visit humanandholy.com slash sponsor or email us at humanandholy at gmail.com. Today's episode is a celebration of the Rebbe's life in honor of Gimel Thomas. I spoke to five different women who are part of my local Chabad community here in New Haven, all different ages, life stories, and varied interactions with the Rebbe. And one thread emerged throughout, that the greatest impact the Rebbe had on them was simply by being who he was. One woman noted that it was watching the Rebbe move through life, the way he danced, spoke, or cried, all with the purest authenticity. Another woman noted it was the way the Rebbe saw her individuality, how she was not just part of a whole, but a unique individual with her own needs. The Rebbe's authenticity, his presence, his celebration of each person's individuality, his sensitivity, empowerment, the way he coaxed people into their own greatness. The power of the Rebbe lies in the in-between moments, in the almost non-stories that tell us the greatest story of who the Rebbe was. Join us today as we celebrate the Rebbe in honor of Gimel Thomas. All the women you're going to hear from today are very much interconnected. First, we're going to hear from Rachel Sandman, one of the first Chabad women to be a part of this community and someone who has taken a lead role in many community activities. I'm so excited to have you here. Thanks so much for coming out. You're welcome. If you could start just by introducing yourself, tell us your name, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do. I'm Rachel Sandman. I'm a mother, grandmother, great-grandmother, a wife. I spent a lot of time involved in the community, but as my parents get older and I cut back on a lot of things and just spent more time taking care of them. So things have evolved. My parents passed away. Oh, Okay. Once they passed away, things have evolved in the sense that other people stepped up to fill the gaps in the community. And I have other things that I do now. Okay, nice. You're definitely like the pillar of this community, one of the OGs. 
and I've only been living here for a little while. So it's exciting to be here today to talk a little bit about your relationship with the Rebbe, some memories that you've had and how the Rebbe has impacted your life, essentially. If you could start just by sharing a memory that you have of the Rebbe that's particularly noteworthy to you and means something. I'll actually start by saying my parents were, my father especially, was very close to the Rebbe. I was raised with a certain sense of awe and majesty. The Rebbe is not somebody you bother. Mm. The Rebbe is somebody you do what he says. Almost my father's words were, we're soldiers of the Rebbe. Mm. But as a soldier, you take orders. You have that sense of respect, awe, and the Rebbe was like our king. In some sense, I was a little bit distanced from the Rebbe until I had, in time, developed my own relationship. And I'll, what happened once is... One of my sons, one of my middle sons, was having a bar mitzvah, and my parents were away, and they were not going to come. It was wintertime, and they were not going to come up north to this bad weather. And I felt very unhappy about that. My husband and I and our son went into the Rebbe. In those days, it was going to the Rebbe for dollars, and you'd give the invitation to the Rebbe, and he'd give you a bracha. And my husband went by with our son and gave the invitation. The Rebbe responded by saying, and here's a dollar for the coming, and here's a dollar for the bar mitzvah. And then when I came right right behind them, the Rebbe gave me a dollar for coming, a dollar for the bar mitzvah, and a dollar to enjoy the bar mitzvah. Which, wow. wow. That time I felt the Rebbe felt, understood who I was and what I needed, and he Without saying a word, I didn't say anything because I didn't want to, you know, be a kvetcher or anything like that. But the Rebbe picked up what I needed to hear, and I heard it, and we really had a joyous time at the bar mitzvah. Wow. That's such a sweet and beautiful story. And then, you know, that meant the Rebbe knew who I was, whatever I am. Right. <laughs> right. And he wasn't saying, like, he's saying, like, you should be able to enjoy. Yes. I love that. Nice. And also, I love how you said that, like, the Rebbe knew who I was. Like, whoever I was, human being that was not, you know, like, a little... Imperfect. Exactly. Exactly. Striving. Beautiful. And not just a member of the community, but I was an individual, and he sensed my needs. Mm. And sensed, well, you know, what I need to be empowered with. Nice. Okay. Oh, that's a beautiful, beautiful little moment that you had. It was. Yeah. It was. What are some others that come to mind. Okay. When our youngest daughter was old enough to light Shabbos candles, she was born before Shavuos and she was almost three. And on Shavuos, she was three. On Shavuos, she was going to light her candles for the first time. And I was very excited. And her older sister was very excited. And we all got dressed for Shabbos, for Yontif. And I told the girls, wait, I'm getting the camera. I'm going to take a picture of this. In those days, there were no cell phones. It was cameras. <laughs> we, I came back with a camera, and my older daughter had helped my younger daughter, her younger sister, only sister, light the Shabbos, uh, the Yantav candles with the brachas. So I couldn't take a picture. It was ready for Yantav for them. I was just very disappointed. I felt, mm, I didn't do what I should have done. And months later, we used to have a hookup of the Rebbe speaking. When he did a sicha, we'd connect into... I don't know if they call it the hotline or the sicha line, and we'd hear it in our house. And once as the Rebbe was beginning to give over a sicha, he talks about, and when a mother or a grandmother or a big sister helps a little girl light the Shabbos candles or the Yontif candles, 
oh, when I heard those, those words, I know, okay, it's okay. Mm. It's okay. I wasn't there. Her sister was there, but it happened properly. And nice. You know, sometimes a little clue comes through inadvertently, but it means a lot for you. When I looked at the Sicha later, afterwards, when it came out in print form in English, I didn't see any mention of mother or grandmother. I guess the people who printed, printed what they felt was important, but not the things that mattered so much to me. But I know I heard it and I felt comforted. Wow. Yeah, it was just like a little message that yes, it was I, okay. It feels connected to what you said originally, that it felt like the Rebbe didn't just see you as a member of the community, but actually as an individual person. Yes. And that the Rebbe cared about putting one woman at ease about her daughter's candlelighting experience. Yes. And we were in different cities and it was <clears throat> totally how he knew he knew. <laughs> it's very sweet. Yeah. So I'm wondering because I always think about this, like the Rebbe giving people guidance on their life choices. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if you received any guidance from the Rebbe about the life choices that you've made and what that was. Yes. The guidance came about in a very difficult way. Let's put it that way. I had an accident. I was cooking something and I opened the pot prematurely and burned myself on my neck down. I had a baby, six weeks old, and suddenly I couldn't nurse or anything like that. Wow. And my husband called 770 to get a bracha. And the answer was, be careful with kashris. Now, I couldn't understand what do you mean, be careful with kashris. We kept glot kosher. We kept kosher, we kept whatever. So we talked to a rav. And in those days, Holocaust was not a big deal, especially out of New York. So the thing that we had to get careful with was Holocaust. So suddenly we switched from buying OUD to getting Holocaust, which was a very difficult challenging. Yes, yes, it was. And I also socially, it would impact on me because our friends were not. Mm. All of Yisrael, they were very supportive. They'd always get something par when we were invited out. But in some ways, we drifted away from our friends here in town, unless they made the commitment to be supportive of us. And also to get all of Yisrael milk for a, a child whose nursing was also difficult. So we found an organic goat milk farmer, and we go there early in the morning to watch him milk the goat. Oh my gosh. Yes. That's awesome. <laughs> this child has never had anything but Chalav Yisrael. I think, I feel like Moshe Rabbeinu didn't have anything. Oh, was sweet. Yisrael. He's the one with the bar mitzvah that the Rebbe gave me the bracha for. Nice. <laughs> and then what did you find after taking on that achlata? It wasn't a achlata, it was a direction. The Rebbe said, be mm. kosher a certain way. So in addition to not having Chalav I also started baking challah then because we couldn't buy the local challah, which was baked by Jews, but the baker was open on Shabbos, and as a result, we couldn't buy from them anymore. Right. The rub in the town had said it's kosher, we just wouldn't buy on Sunday. I guess if you don't live in a place where there's a Shomer Shabbos bakery, you know how to handle these things. Well, I started baking my own challah, which was a wonderful mitzvah, I love that one. And all of Yisrael just became part of who we are. No choice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was a marching order. <laughs> yes. Nice. Yes. What other, you know, because I don't know what your stories are, so I want you to tell me, like, what other interactions have you had with the Rebbe that was, like, between you and the Rebbe, where you just felt like the Rebbe saw you and was guiding you and there for you? 
Obviously, I saw the Rebbe saw me as a person, but I also felt I'm part of a unit, and mm. so the Rebbe saw us as a unit and guided us in these ways. So one of the things I felt after these brachas and after we had more children, I had to learn. And I always kept up, you know, learning Chumash at the most, but then I started learning Sichas. Mm. I learned with friends, and my language was English, and we could get Sichas in English, and the, I had to do this for myself to feel connected to the Rebbe. Mm. And I started learning every week with a friends or myself or teaching others. That was one of my very nourishing and very rewarding experiences, learning with women who were not necessarily from, but wanted to know about Yiddishkeit. So I had to prepare more than I would have otherwise, not just look over the parsha a little bit, but I had to get into some depth. And as I taught them, they taught me. Nice. It was a wonderful interaction, a wonderful growth for me in connecting to the Rebbe. Because I really felt you just don't knock off the parsha, but you put in yourself a bit. And then that's how I felt I could, could connect to the Rebbe, by learning this sort of sikhahs. Is this specifically while the Rebbe was alive or more oh, yes. after the Rebbe was alive? I never stopped. Oh, it started then, you're saying, and then... Started then. I made the time for it. Nice. Yeah. Because I hear from people who say after the Rebbe passed away, that was their one link, and this no, is different. No, I, I made the link before, because after those brachas, I really wanted to have not just a casual or awesome relationship, but one mm. that I put myself into it. Oh, I love that. Let me ask you, how has your relationship with the Rebbe shifted since Gimel Thomas? I have to find other ways to find the Rebbe. And I have to look. I have to put myself into it even more. I can't take it casually. If you want to have a relationship with anyone and anything, you work on it. Yeah. So now I have to work differently. It's interesting because I feel that that was kind of the Rebbe's model of leadership from the beginning, wanting the Chassidim to really invest themselves and not to be spoon-fed the inspiration. And it's like post-Gimel Tamas, the Rebbe is really asking that. You can't just have a casual relationship, then you have no relationship at all. You know, but if you want to be connected, you have to put in that effort. Oh, yeah. And another thing I felt, I had to put in effort not only in learning, but in doing things in the community. Because, mm. you know, as a Lubavitcher, as a firm woman, I just felt there were things that had to be done. And I'm not the most assertive personality, but when asked to do certain things that inspired me, I take a leadership role or a co-leadership role and do the things that really mattered. For example, when the mikvah was originally downtown New Haven in a neighborhood that's um, right near St. Raphael's Hospital, it had to be moved. The neighborhood had changed drastically. So I was very active with a friend in getting it moved to closer to our neighborhood. And eventually we worked hard and built a Lubavitch mikvah. Wow. Yeah. It was, you know, with difficulty, there's always things going on, but the Lubavitch mikvah now exists in New Haven after having year, well, Devoted women had started the original mikveh back in the days of, I guess, the 1930s. Because mm. before that, women went to the beach. Crazy. No. Wow. In the winter, in the summer. Oh, my goodness. We hear stories about women going to the mikveh in Russia. Well, they did it in a way. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't just Russia. Right. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So when mikveh was built, but the neighborhood changed. And then eventually, 
it was built in our neighborhood, a Lubavitch mikvah. So that's one thing I was involved with. Nice. Okay. You mentioned that you've always learned as a way of connecting to the Rebbe. Yes. I would love if you could share an idea that you've learned from the Rebbe that it has been a guiding light in your life. What have I learned? I do the best you can and stop comparing yourself to everybody else. Just you do what you can. And if at this moment you could do this, do it. When you can do more, do more. And yes, push, but not to the point that it's negative on the family and on yourself. Mm. It's not a guilt thing. It's a powering thing. Nice. Oh, I'm, I'm sure you've heard or seen sikhs like that. You know, it's not one idea. It's the Rebbe spreads it throughout. Right. It's his perspective on the world. Yes. And another thing, look at everything with a good eye. He always said something with a positive spin. So instead of saying, oh, this is wrong, say, let's make it right. Mm. Nice. Even the way that the Rebbe encouraged people not to use negative language, instead of saying a hospital, say house of healing or yes. things like that, that is a way of retraining your brain because yes. you're just constantly making sure that you're like saying it in a different way, even if the reality isn't different. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So what would be your words of advice to young people who have never met the Rebbe or people who did meet the Rebbe and have had experiences with the Rebbe on connecting to the Rebbe currently when he is not with us? Well, I can say learn, but you have to also know who you are and find your way, how you connect and take the messages where you get them. Because sometimes the message is in a video, sometimes it's in a letter. It's wherever, but you have to want it and look for it and appreciate it. The rabbit's like anybody else. If you want a relationship, you work at it. If you want it, put in the effort. And the rabbit will, you'll find a way to get an answer. Once I had a question, I guess it was a Ruchnius question or a Chinuch question, and I opened an Igris. And the letter said, speak to Shalom Mendel. Shalom Mendel Kalmason. Oh, that's my friend's father. No. <laughs> he had passed away, but I called my friend. Oh. And I said, Fagy, uh, I got an answer that I should ask your father. I guess I could ask you. And uh, she helped me clarify. I guess it was a Chinuch or Ruchnius thing. And we both felt thrilled. The Rebbe found a way. Yeah, that's so special. Wow. Nice. Thank you so much. This was beautiful. I'm inspired. Yeah. Thank you. I feel empowered from that statement of like the Rebbe, like any other relationship, if you want it, then put in the effort. Yes. So that's empowering, especially Gimel Thomas when like I'm thinking about my connection to the Rebbe and I think a lot of us are. So yes. thank you so much. You're welcome. I spoke to Rachel's daughter-in-law, Leah Sandman a woman who was just 12 years old when the Rebbe passed away, with a completely different perspective on the Rebbe's life. What memories does she have of the Rebbe as a child? And what impact does the Rebbe have on her life? My name is Leah Sandman. I live in New Haven. I own Balashik Vintage, which is a kind of like a, almost at this point, a shopping service for vintage and antique clothing, furniture, jewelry. I like my business because I work on my own time and schedule. And because my family comes first, 
it's a really great balance. So if I just don't have the time to do it, then I just don't. Oh, nice. And when I'm ready, I come back to it. So it's always there for you. Yes. It's always there for me. So you're the queen of this actually. (laughs) (laughs) I'm the best taste. Um, (laughs) Okay. Well, I'm really excited to have you here today to speak a little bit about your memories and relationship with the Rebbe. It's an interesting perspective to hear from someone who was younger, but did have personal interactions with the Rebbe. And I would love to hear what memories did you have with the Rebbe that stand out to you? Okay. So first of all, even just going on my birthday, I just remember standing online and practicing the whole time online, which was hours, but I don't know if I felt long. And then I think it was like the year 1992 where the Rebbe was giving out a lot of contrasim and we would be in the middle of school and my father would come get like, people had beepers in those times. Oh my gosh. And he would get like, I guess it was like that version of a text message that the Rebbe was going to give something out and we would get pulled out of school and just get in the car because we lived so close to New York, kind of like New Haven, but even closer, we had the ability to just jump in the car and get there in time. <laughs> we would run home, change in Shabbos clothes nice. and just get in the car. And it wow. was just like, yeah, I just have such good memories of that year doing that. Oh, I mean, there's other memories of just Tishrei. I was young, but they are so vivid, just being in 770. One particular thing, which I feel really lucky, and looking back now, I realize, like, what an opportunity. Then I was so young, but the Rebbe was sick. They had built, like, a room in the back of 770. Like, there was a window. That's it, it was. And it was right near what they called the third shawl. But... Most people, like that was not known as like a great shul to sit in on Tishrei because it was in the back. But my cousin had seats there. So I was me and my other cousin. She said we could sit there. Actually, your aunt, Meryl Lazarev. Oh, sweet. <laughs> she gave us her seats, Marilyn Majeski. Then she gave us, she's like, why don't you sit there? I'm not going. And we were just so excited to have a seat in 770. So we sat literally the last seats of 770. And then all of a sudden somebody says the, the window shades are rustling. And it was the first time since the Rebbe came back, the window shade opened and the Rebbe was there for the first time in a very long, and I was standing right there. And after that moment in 770, that became the best shul to sit in. I did not have a chance to get a spot again, (laughs) but I was there for this, such like a momentous occasion of just the first time. Then they built a porch and the Rebbe would come out on the porch, but this was even before the porch. It was just a window. And it was like for probably less than 10 seconds. They opened it, we saw the rubber, and then they closed it. I feel really lucky to have had that opportunity by chance. How old were you when that I happened? Was probably 11 or 12, very young. Like right before the rubber passed away. Yeah. It was wow. Like, I think it's all just so it was one big blur. You were young. Yeah. Yeah. And that Maybe I was 10. I don't think so. <laughs> What impact did that have on you? Like going home or even after, like at the time, did you even feel it or it's more just looking back? We didn't think we were so young and like we were there and older people were not like none of my older cousins or aunts or anybody. It was just me and my other young cousin, the same age as me. We were so excited. We couldn't believe it. So yeah, I always felt like I had something. I always felt lucky. Mm, Like a special memory to hold on to. Yeah. Something cool. So Definitely a question to you as you were so young when the Rebbe passed away. So it puts you in an interesting position. On the one hand, like you're not a post-Gimel Thomas baby, but on the other right. hand, you didn't really grow up as an adult with the Rebbe, like asking the Rebbe's guidance and your adult decisions, et cetera. So what type of relationship 
have you had with the Rebbe as an adult? So it's interesting. I feel like I get to use my experiences that I had then as guidance now, mm. even though I never used them then because I didn't know what I had. And even just the memories of my parents, of their interactions, of the way they, just so many details that I forgot about and now I'm remembering. Mm. Like one story, I remember being young and a little bit embarrassed, but looking back now, I'm just so grateful that they gave me these connections. Like the Rebbe came out with like that everybody should teach their children about the base of Megdash. I don't remember when it was. Again, like everything was such a blur, but I remember my father took out this book on the Mishkan and we sat on the front porch and he taught us about the base of Megdash because the Rebbe said, you have to teach your children about, and so like things like that, like I feel lucky, like I had those opportunities or another time I didn't know, I, I always thought it was my father. My mother just told me it was her. This, I remember being so embarrassed that she did this. <laughs> Looking back, I'm like, she was so progress, like so confident. The Rebbe said, if there's 10 people that say that they're ready for Mashiach or want Mashiach, then Mashiach will come. And so my mother, or something along those lines, my mother wrote in and said, me, my husband, and my eight children. So then I was like, oh my gosh, can't believe my mother said that. Like, <laughs> looking back, I'm like, wow, she had such a muna. She had such strength to say that. And looking back, it was cool. And now I could, you know, get strength from the things she did. Mm. So that's really nice. It's like with time passing, you begin to understand the magnitude of what you experienced, even right. though you were too young to appreciate it. Right. That, that's really what it is, like being able to look back and gain from what I got then. And to like hold that memory of, you know, the curtain rustling and being able yeah. to see the Rebbe. Yeah, that was. That's very special. Yeah. Okay. So what would you say the Rebbe's impact is on your life? Just in the way that you live. Again, I feel like now I'm applying more. A lot of what I'm reading now or just learning and going back to what the Rebbe said is my guidebook for Chinuch. You mean like your guidebook for Chinuch, like for educating your kids? Yeah. Oh, oh, nice. I feel like, you know, I've been reading so many books on parenting and this and that. And then I speak to my sister and she's like, Laya, it's all, it's all in Chassidus. It's all in the Rebbe's teachings. And she's right. Like, I'll go back, even like learning a letter from the Rebbe mm. and I'll be like, yeah, these are the, the answers are right here. So. Right. I'm wondering then, is there a specific idea that you've seen about parenting that you connected to that you try to live with? I think positivity, mm. like really focusing on positivity rather than, and that comes with everything in life. I try really hard to just focus on the good, the good that you have, the good of what your kids are, mm. not try to change your kids too much, but try to work with their abilities and what they're capable of and their milas mm. rather than, you know, so that's a, that's a work in progress, but I feel like I use that. That's beautiful. I hope. I try to be a good parent. <laughs> <laughs> I like that a lot, like being able to see the inherent goodness in your children and then also in, in the world and your circumstances. Yeah. It's, it's, it's challenging, but, you know, in general, it's very helpful in life to think of, I guess, the more focus on the good. And every day is a new day. That also That's good. helps. Yeah. 
Leah, it's so interesting <laughs> to talk to you because I feel like you're in a twilight zone when it comes to your relationship with the Rebbe. And I recognize so much of like my generation and what you're sharing. And I'm like contrasting it in my mind to the older women who I've interviewed who have a totally different perspective and relationship with the Rebbe where it's like, there's something transcendent about you're like in, in between you have that transcendence, but then you also have like the childhood memories. Right. So it's very interesting <laughs> to hear how you kind of have that duality. Like you weren't an adult no. that had a relationship with the Rebbe. Would you say now that you have a relationship with the Rebbe? Yes. That- I feel like now more than when I was younger, mm. like I just feel like I understand the magnitude of what we have, like the Rebbe as our guide. You know what? I, I recently was in 770. I took my kids Hanukkah. Somebody said to go there for the menorah lighting. And I'm like, okay, well, right after Shabbos, Matzah Shabbos, it's supposed to be beautiful. So I said, you know what? I'm going to do it. I haven't taken my kids in a long time. And we went and I was like, well, we'll be able to see right by the window. No problem. I came back in. It had that smell that I remember mm. the pushiness. It was packed. There was nowhere to stand. And it was like a, just a flashback of Tishrei. And I just felt so nostalgic. I felt like, wow, I'm giving my kids a little bit of what I had in my childhood. And I look back at Tishrei, such good memories. Like, I wish I could go back in time and just like relive it. It's interesting because the Robert passed away again. Well, Tom was the next year my father passed away. And it was wow. kind of like that whole error ended at the same mm. time. And then to like go back and pick up the memories is like what I'm doing now. Picking up the memories and reliving them learning from them. So that's, I guess, yeah. Wow. Like that portion of your life. Yeah. It was just an end and then a a whole new beginning. So. mm. Mm. Wow. That's actually really powerful. Mm. I didn't know I was going to say that. I thought that was very moving. Yeah. It was a good time to, I guess, thank my mother. Mm. Like, you know, are the family fell apart yet? We all have a, a pretty strong foundation. And it's, you know, and then, I mean, including Gimel Thomas, like everything was at once. Mm. I guess those, those chenich moments stayed with us yeah. miraculously. Wow. What you shared about the Rebbe was that you have these like childish memories and then you're building on those and then with your father you also mentioned memories with your father and the experiences hit somewhere so deep inside of you that now as an adult like you can look back at them and just like experience them again yeah in a new way yeah it's very powerful what would be your advice to people specifically that like kind of fall into your category either having young childish memories of the Rebbe not really understanding the extent of what was happening or people who have never had experiences and they experienced the Rebbe through video or his teachings, et cetera. What would be your advice on living with the Rebbe's message? This is actually, it's a good question because I've come to like a moment. I think it was like at the beginning of the year and I'm, I've made a decision that I'm going to work on this because I realized like all we have is memories. Mm. And I remember thinking, you know, my grandmother on my mother's side didn't speak about Russia or anything. So I don't have that many memories, not memories. I don't, I, I don't know the stories of her right. life and I'm sure they're very powerful. 
And then on my father's side, my father did tell us a lot of stories about his childhood and the things his his mother went through and all these stories. And it was only 13 years of getting those memories. So I made a decision I because I realized that I wasn't talking to my kids about any of my memories. Mm. And now my advice to myself and to people my age is we have to share those memories. You know, I have to share the memories of what it was like growing up with the Rebbe. I have to, even if they're small or not like significant, but Mm. just stories. As we walked home from 770 after Hanukkah, I told my kids, I explained to them why I was so excited. And they asked me so many questions. And I'm like, I can't believe I never shared this before with them. I just, you know, life happens so fast. So like not to compare the Rebbe and my father, but both things, I made a decision that I'm going to start sharing more about my childhood, sharing more with my own kids. I'm not saying publicly, but I'm just saying so that I could give them part of a little bit of part of my childhood that so that they could be a part of it. And it will help me. Mm -hmm. It will help me remember. I love that. I always find the small memories to be so moving. Those like three words that someone remembers from the Rebbe and what that meant to them. Like, that to me is more powerful than a miracle story, even though the miracle story is powerful and moving in its own right. But there's something special just about like the plebeian interactions with the Rebbe that are just like, you know, it's a big gift that you give to people around you when you share them. Right. But like just giving the kids a little bit of a glimpse and I'll add a little, recently I started reading the Rebbe's letters once a week. I do it with a friend. It's really nice. Once a week we read a letter of the Rebbe. There's a book on the Rebbe's letters in English. Mm. So even though I do speak Yiddish, I could understand it. Just hearing the Rebbe's answers in English is really nice. Yeah. And yeah, I do it once a week with a friend and it's really nice. It's just a good guidebook. Yeah. As you were saying before. Yeah. On just how to live. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting. It's easier to share the miracle story. Yeah. I think also it's easier, like with the letters, sometimes you're just getting small snippets of right. things the Rebbe said to people. And, it, and it's like, you might read it and think it doesn't apply to you. Or like, it just doesn't feel necessarily like this mic drop moment of the Rebbe, you know? But I think those Rebbe letters and those memories that don't seem to be miraculous teach us so much about the Rebbe's life and about like what we have to learn. Right. So I I love that. That's very powerful. Yeah. Thank you so much. (laughs) This is so nice. That was really beautiful. Okay. Thank you. Now we will hear from Mrs. Bluma Hecht, a shlucha in Orange, Connecticut, which is just a seven-minute drive from New Haven, and the principal of Beis Chana Academy, which is the school where Leah Sandman's daughters attend. I'm Bluma Hecht, and I moved out here almost 40 years ago, right after we got married. Wow. Um, we came out here to help my in-laws, Rabbi Moshe Yitzchak and Rabbi Zinrifka Hecht, who were sent out to New Haven by the Friedrich Rebbe wow. to open up a Maiset Chinuch and, of course, to be the Hetzlochim of Greater New Haven. And when we came out, we were very involved with the school. And then I think it was right before my father-in-law actually passed away that we felt that the school really needed to be a seven-day-a-week operation. Mm. You know, five days a week wasn't enough. And so we wrote into the Rebbe and asked for a bracha to move to Orange, because at that time we lived in the Beaver Hill section of New Haven, right here on Bellevue Road. And the Rebbe gave us a bracha. 
So we ended up moving out to Orange and we opened up Chabad of Orange Woodbridge, mm. which was a tremendous bracha personally for our family. And I've been very involved in programs and activities, women's programs over the years. And then about 10 years ago, the opportunity came up where we were looking for a principal for our girls' high school. <laughs> and I stepped in to be the principal of Beis Chana High School. The most amazing, caring principal of Beis Chana High School. Oh, thank yeah. you. <laughs> you run an incredible, incredible high school and school. And there's so much obviously going on. You said seven days a week. I'm like, that pretty much defines it, you know? Exactly. The amounts exactly. of activities that you have going on gave you guidance or just even just a line or a word that has stuck with you and was impactful to you in your life? Sure. I think for me, the most memorable is, this was probably about 32 years ago. I was pregnant with our sixth child. And I don't know why. There was no particular reason. But for some reason, I was very anxious about the pregnancy, about you know, my health during the pregnancy, and I was very anxious about the baby's health. And again, it could have just been because I had had five children already, so I knew what was coming down the pike. Right. But this was just consuming me, and I was in line for dollars one Sunday, and it was my turn. I came to the Rebbe. The Rebbe gave me a dollar, said, Brocha and of course I didn't say anything to the Rebbe because... I mean, I'm one of how many people? I wasn't going to take the Rebbe's time for this. And then the Rebbe called me back, and in English he said to me, you should have an easy pregnancy, and we should hear healthy news. And I was like blown away, because it was specifically the two things that I was concerned about that the Rebbe just zeroed in on. It was the pregnancy that I was worried about, and he said, you should have an easy pregnancy, and we should hear healthy news for wow. the baby being born. I took this dollar, I laminated it, and of course for the rest of my pregnancy, I was on cloud nine, and I took it of course with me when I gave birth, and now today I give it to all of my daughters and daughters-in-law oh, when they give awesome. birth. But for me, it was, this is exactly who the Rebbe was, it was like everybody mattered, and whether you shared it with him or not, the Rebbe knew what you were going through. And he was there to shower you with his brachas and to be with you alongside with you. So that's one thing that really sticks out. It's beautiful. And then I think if I can share another time, I think that for me personally, once we moved to Orange, right away I started with women's classes you know, in addition to some of the other things we were doing. So before my first woman's class, I was very nervous. And I wrote into the, at that time, of course, it was the Igris. I put in a letter into the Igris saying that I was doing this first woman's class and I was asking for a bracha. And interestingly, it was on the same page of a letter that the Rebbe wrote to a shlucha saying, I'm so happy to hear that you're doing this program for women. I don't know why you haven't written to me before to notify me of your activities. And I hope it's only because you haven't ha didn't have the time mm. to, and not because you haven't been doing these activities. Mm. And it was like, you know, this is exactly what, who the Rebbe was. 
And the letter continued, giving a bracha for all the women's activities and saying clearly, your mission is to work with the women in your community. Wow. And I took that very personally and went on to do many programs with the women in the community over the years. But then 10 years ago, when the opportunity opened up to be involved in Beis Chana, I felt like young girls, teenagers are young mm-hmm. women. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so perhaps this is for me to do. And that's what gave me the courage to step in and do it. And Baruch Hashem, it's been a tremendous bracha. I'm recognizing now and you're sharing that you started doing this 10 years ago, like to have the courage to step into a completely new role and like really start a completely new endeavor. It takes a lot of courage. And the fact that that letter from the Rebbe strengthened you. But I think that's what Shlichus is. It just, it gives you these opportunities. It's not the same old every single time. Right. Constantly new opportunities are opening up to do different things. And it's with the Rebbe's Kaichas and with the Rebbe's Brachas that we move forward. Yeah. Okay, so you shared some of the individual interactions you've had with the Rebbe that guided you. I'm wondering what your memories were being in 770 and watching the Rebbe. Is there any particular memory that stood out to you that was meaningful to you or that left an impression? I think watching the Rebbe all the time left an impression, the way he would walk into 770 in such an unassuming... Mm. I mean, there were thousands of people in 770, and it was always with such an unassuming, modest way, watching the Rebbe Davin, watching the Rebbe dance in Hakafis, mm. just watching him cry, you know, when he went up to, to before Tekias. These were all powerful memories that just, that really stay with you. And it's a certain emistikite that you can't duplicate. When I was eight years old, maybe seven, before we went on Shlichus, our, our family went on Shlichus to Dallas, Texas, and we went in for Yechidus as a family. So I remember standing in line, and it was hours we were standing in line, and I, you know, seeing all the Hasidim, everybody davening and saying to Hillim, and I felt like there was something really, I was a little girl and I felt like something very important was about to happen. But once we got into the Yechidus, it wasn't like a frightening or scary feeling. It was a very fatherly, loving feeling. And that's who the Rebbe was. And no matter what age or what stage, I think that's really what came through to anybody who ever met the Rebbe that the Rebbe pushed you to be the best you you could be. But at the same time, it was with a tremendous amount of love and care and concern. That is so powerful. And I love how you noted the authenticity of the Rebbe's emotions. So it's like whether he was dancing or crying or davening or walking in like with a true humility, it was just that pure expression is something that he really, really embodied. Even the sensitivity to others It was three times a year that the Rebbe would speak to the women, that the women would come into 770. It was before Rosh Hashanah. It was at the Neshei Chabad convention, which was always usually around the month of May. And then it was after graduation or before graduation. The Rebbe would address the graduates. 
I remember clearly a few times. One time, the Rebbe walked in, and there were many like little girls who were standing along the pathway that the Rebbe walked in. And the Rebbe gave each one a nickel. And the Rebbe continued going, walking. And another girl stretched out her hand. The Rebbe turned around, went back to her, gave her the nickel, and then went, continued walking to his seat. So, you know, you could think, little girl, you know, what's the difference? The Rebbe has so many important things to worry about. But no, each and every man, woman, and child, everybody mattered. And at one of the Neshei Chabad conventions when the Rebbe was addressing the women, so the women had prepared, I don't remember exactly what it was, if it was a 3D creation about the theme of the convention, or maybe it was just a big bouquet. I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was something that was sitting on the Rebbe's table where the Rebbe was speaking. When the Rebbe got up to leave, the Rebbe motioned to Rabbi Groner to hand him the thing that was sitting on the table. So the Rebbe cared that, you know, the women put in the effort Mm. to make this. I'm not just going to leave it there. I'm taking it with me. Nice. And just the sensitivity, even if you look now at some of the gem videos, you see the interaction that the Rebbe had with people and how he always made everyone feel good, no matter who they were, no matter what they were doing. And it's something that really, it's so powerful to a life lesson for how we can live and treat other people. Yeah. Even like you uh, walking by the Rebbe and the Rebbe feeling that your anxiety during pregnancy was worth calling you back and just reassuring you. Cause like exactly. that anxiety that you were like just uncomfortable, exactly. that mattered. Exactly. That's like, without me having said anything. Yeah. Mind you. It's not like you approached him and asked for it. It's like even without being asked right. and without it even being mentioned, it's a very powerful lesson about noticing other people's experiences and being, being empathetic. The, yeah, exactly. Yes. Okay. So I would love if you could share any ideas, quotes, things you've learned or studied from the Rebbe or just maybe ideas that he championed. We've kind of been covering that, but just if there's one thing particularly that you would say really has impacted you, stands out in your mind, or guides you in your life? I don't know if there's one particular thing, but I think learning the sikhas and listening to everything that the Rebbe shared with us over the years, his passion came through in every single thing he spoke about. And I think his kashras to the Rebbe really means trying to live our lives a little bit the way the Rebbe lived mm. his life. Be it incorporating that sensitivity to others, be it incorporating his, his love and passion for Yiddishkeit and doing every mitzvah with such feeling. Mm. I mean, this was before my time, but the fact that the Rebbe went to visit Rebbe Tzanchana, his mother, every single day, you know, there are people who are far less busy than the Rebbe is, And do we make the time for that always? But to learn, to watch and see how the Rebbe lived his life and to be able to incorporate that into our lives in some which way, I think that's the greatest thing. And there's no doubt also the way the Rebbe spoke to the women and 
how the Rebbe felt that the women were his frontline soldiers, mm. that was very, very, that still is very impactful. And, you know, nobody gets a free ride when it comes to the Rebbe. We're all here to accomplish what we need to. And when we think we've done enough, the Rebbe is still here to tell us, keep going and do more. And there's more that you can accomplish and more that you can do. Yeah, that's a good point. It's like, a, like you said, he demanded a lot of you, but with like so much love and concern and awareness of who you are. He saw it all and he was like, I want to see you giving the maximum you can to the world. Yes. And that is the greatest bracha because to live in a way where you can use your potential, you know, things that you never thought you would ever be capable of doing or ever do. And there was the Rebbe saying, yes, go ahead. You can do it. It's, it's just an amazing thing. Yeah. Even the idea of you as a young person moving out on shluchas, I think very often about how shluchas kind of pushes people almost before they're ready or qualified, and then they grow into the position and they become qualified. So they have the raw talent and ability, but it's really unprecedented for such a young person without any training to go out into the wilderness and begin something new. But that's really what they're up encouraged, like grow into your potential. Right now, it might not seem like it makes any sense for you to be leading this huge thing that you're going out to lead, but then eventually it will make sense because Absolutely. you'll grow into it. Absolutely. You know? And when we went into that yechidus before my family moved to Dallas, the Rebbe gave my siblings and me, each of us, a little black sitter, which of course I have to this day. Wow. But it was this, I'm going with you. You yeah. know, you're not going out on your own. I'm going with you. And take this so that you have it. You have something tangible to hold on to and know that I'm with you. And there's no question that every program we've made, everything we've done, you feel the Rebbe pushing you and you know it's going to be okay because the Rebbe's with you. Nice. Yeah, you're not going alone. Absolutely. What would be your advice to anyone, either those who have experienced personal interactions with the Rebbe or those who never have had that ability, either because of age or just life experience, what would be your advice on how to develop some type of connection with the Rebbe and with his teachings and to be able to feel that He's encouraging you and he sees you and to just be inspired by his mission. I think the more you can learn, the more you can just watch. And there's so much out there today of the videos, of the interactions that the Rebbe had with different people that really can help prepare you to go out there. But of course, we're all waiting for Mashiach. I actually love that you said that about the videos because something that really stood out to me from what you shared was looking at the Rebbe as a model of how to live our own lives. So if you can just watch the Rebbe living his life and learn about how the Rebbe lived his life, obviously there's the Rebbe's teachings and like the Sikhais that he gave, et cetera. But then even just the Rebbe's behavior as the ultimate role model of how to be Absolutely. a person. I remember watching one of the videos and a group of journalists came to speak to the Rebbe and the Rebbe was speaking to them. And then the next person in line was the photographer. And he said to the Rebbe, I'm just the photographer. You know, he mm. obviously didn't feel that he was as, as qualified as the journalists who were writing the articles. He was just the photographer. And the Rebbe looked at him and he said, is not a picture worth more than a thousand words? Again, taking that moment to lift up this person 
to, you think you're just a photographer, but your photography is worth more than a thousand words. Mm. And this is what the Rebbe did, you know, whether it was VIPs who came to the Rebbe, no matter what their background or what, or if it was just simple light people. And that was a beautiful thing. Yeah. Oftentimes, when the rapper was walking back home, there were non-Jewish kids who were playing on the way, and the rapper would stop and say something to them. And to this day, they remember that. Yeah. And it made a tremendous impact on them. So, never know. Yeah, and it's like when the Rebbe did that, when he stopped the child on the street, when he interacted with the photographer, he wasn't trying to make them feel good. He genuinely, I think, saw the worth in what they were doing and in them as a person. So that's why it was so impactful. When the photographer was told that, the Rebbe was really saying, like, photography is so precious. And the Rebbe, like, saw that preciousness in what this person was doing. And that's very moving yes. to feel that someone yes. sees the worth of your life. Yes, Absolutely. Powerful. Thank you so much. This was beautiful. My pleasure. I appreciate it. Mrs. Hecht and her husband lead the community in Orange, the South Connecticut Hebrew Academy, and Beishan High School, as we've mentioned. Both of these are schools where our next interviewee worked for many years. She even has a very precious story with the Rebbe that happened in connection to her teaching there. So next up, we have Basia Deitch. I'm Basia Deitch. I live in New Haven, Connecticut. It's a pleasure to know Tanya Hazana. I met first as a parent of her student, of your student. Yes. And it's really had a tremendous impact on her. Thank so, Yasha Kayach to you for everything you do. I live here for 29 years. <laughs> That's, that, that sounds more like it, yeah. Wow. And uh, Baruch Hashem, I had this chus to be involved in our Maisid locally here with Rabbi Hecht, working with the students there teaching in the high school for many years. Wow. Yeah, and it was really a big schuss to work in that. I said, now Baruch Hashem, I'm teaching also working with children. And it's a beautiful place to live, and it's a great schuss to be here. Nice. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for sharing. Thanks for being here. Today we're going to talk a little bit about your memories of the Rebbe and your relationship with him. And I would love if you could start just by sharing a memory that you have of the Rebbe that was particularly impactful to you. So this was after the stroke. I was already a young married woman, and the Rebbe was sitting high up on the, it was like a porch, I don't know how to describe it, it was a high up in 770 behind a curtain. We can see the upper part of the Rebbe's face, and the Hasidim were singing Nagunim. And I can't explain why, but all I could do was look and cry and cry and cry. I don't forget that moment. The Rebbe said nothing. The Rebbe wasn't doing a hand motion, mm. nothing. But the power of having the Rebbe physically there was encouraging, was, I mean, the chassidim were singing with so much energy. And we used to think that it was the Rebbe's swing of his hands that was empowering us. And I just was standing there thinking, the Rebbe is just watching us. He's here. And there's such an energy. Mm. When I think about it now, I could cry. I remember, and people looking at me, are you okay? Yeah, I was very okay. I just was taken by the whole, that the Rebbe was with us and giving us everything the Rebbe had. And it was, it was, it was good. Mm. It, it, it was unbelievable. That's such a beautiful scene. Well, it makes me think of how 
a child can know that their parent is in the other room or just like there. And even if the parent isn't doing anything, it gives something so deep to the child. So exactly. that was the experience of Excellent example, yeah. I'm wondering if you've ever had any one-on-one interactions with the Rebbe where even just a simple word or some type of personal interaction that stuck with you. That I was 16 years old. My sister had a situation. She had to be in the hospital overnight. And being the older sister, I was asked to stay with her. And I was in the room with another woman older than myself. Uh, she had quite a few children at the time. And she was with her child who wasn't so well. And, you know, we were up all night. So what do you do? We got talking and I'm listening to her about her child and she had tremendous challenges at home, Shalom Bayis and Parnassa and he poured out her heart to me. And I was very young at the time, but you know, it, I was old enough to hold my own and listen and understand that this was very challenging for her. And the first thing that came to my mind was like, what do we do when, this, when we hear such sorrows? We turn to our father, our Rebbe. So I told her all about the Rebbe and I said that I think that that's what she should do. And she said, no problem. We sat down and we wrote a letter and I told her that I met to Shemuel, got back to her. And then I was off to camp. Like I, it, it happened. I knew that not necessarily we were mailing it out and it has to come from New York to America. So we did all that and I left. All of a sudden I get a phone call in camp from my parents. They're calling me. And usually you don't, they don't allow, but I guess this was a good enough reason that they paged me. So I run to hear what the story is. And my father says, Basis, mm. a letter arrived for you from the Rebbe. You wrote to the Rebbe? So I said, yeah. He said, what's up? This itself. He didn't tell us. We know nothing about it. Is everything okay? So I explained to him. It was that night I was in the hospital. And the whole story, I met the lady and I told her I'll write a letter. So, you know, I was very excited. He was, my father was very emotional with me. Like I could hear in his voice that he was very surprised. I'm 16 years old and I didn't wow. say anything. And I did what I knew to do. What do I do when I have a problem? I write to my Rebbe. So... He asked if he should open it up for me and read to me what the answer was, which, of course, I said, yes, I wanted to hear. I was coming home anyhow within a week. So I called the lady. I told her I got a letter. We made an appointment to meet her. And I remember traveling to her house and sitting with her. And we washed Nagelvas and we opened the letter and I read it to her. The Rebbe said to check Mrs. and Tefillin. She said, it's been years since her husband ever touched his tefillin, and Mrs. I mean, she, we made sure, like, to walk around. She had a few on the doors. Of course, we, we counted how many more she needed so we can replace them, and we had them checked, and some were bachlal, not shy. They weren't even Mrs. in the first place. They were written oh. on paper, and Baruch Hashem, we were able to correct the problems, and she came to visit us in my parents' house, like, a couple of months later, just to say thank you. Wow. She really wanted to share that things started turning around at home, and she started seeing improvements and of course you know mitzvah girls mitzvah so it inspired her family to want to do more things Beautiful. and you see the rebbe's workings all the way from new york for a little girl 16 right. year old girl worrying about a strange family it's very very touching oh, i always remember that you know a little like who was i and the rebbe like mailed me a letter you know right mm. what was the impact on you when you received that letter and like the rebbe paid attention and he noticed and he responded how did you it, it it just confirmed when I, I knew the Rebbe is there for us. The fact that it wasn't even a question that we write to the Rebbe, this is just how it goes. We were so lucky. It really was a given. Like, even though, like I'm saying, wow, me, 16 years old, the Rebbe's writing me a letter. My parents see a letter comes to Kvar Chabad. Literally, I have, you know, the address of the letter here. It says, Basia Vashetsky, Kvar Chabad, Israel. Wow. I mean, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. And it just confirmed, yeah, this, this, is, this is who our Rebbe is. And we have a problem. We turn to the Rebbe and the Rebbe sends us a letter such a lesson to us on how to respond to people. 
like the fact that the rabbi could do that for every single person to be able to give them the time of day and pay attention and respond to them. Yeah. And a kid. Yeah. So true. Yeah. So that was when you were 16 and you had the opportunity to interact with the rabbi personally. I'm wondering if and how your relationship with the rabbi has changed since Gimel Thomas. So I'm a very visual person. So I honestly feel that it's a schwachkeit for me, but I do need to see the Rebbe physically before me. I struggle very much not being able to go to Fabrengens physically and see the Rebbe. In terms of knowing that the Rebbe is with me and guiding me every day, nothing changed. So I do want to stand there like I did that day by Fabrengen and Pasha to see the Rebbe physically. I want my parent in my house with me, but I know the caring and the connection is the same. As a matter of fact, I go to the Rebbe all the time and I write. I have several answers that I received partially from standing in the video and watching. I remember one particular one. Rabbi Francis was the, the principal at the time. He had just come in. I was teaching in the high school for many years, mm. and they took a little break in high school to just restructure it. And for the time that they had a break, I was going to just take off you know, the time and restructure myself, my own life, and see right. where I was at. But they asked if I can come and teach 7th and 8th grade. Mm. And I didn't want to. I did for many years, on and off, taught 7th through 12th, and then I realized that my preference is to work with high school students. Okay. The nitty-gritties. I didn't have so much patience for the younger children who can't find their pencil, or they're not in the mood today, you know? So I told them, my mom, I think I'm done with that age. It's not Kedai. You know, you want someone who pushed it as that kind of patience. She came back to me and says, really, you know, it's, it's chaval. You're not teaching high school anyhow. The mice need you. The girls need you. Do it for us, you know. So I said, let me go to the Rebbe. I went to the Rebbe, and my mamish was dragging my feet because I knew I don't have a lot of patience for that age group. I love to teach, but I want to teach students who are macabre, you know. Mm-hmm. I like the back and forth and... So I, I went in and I was like, what should I write the Rebbe? I'm embarrassed. Tell the Rebbe I don't want to teach 7th and 8th grade students because I don't have patience to deal with pencils and quetching. I mean, it's, I, I'm embarrassed. Right. But I'm like, it's the MS. The Rebbe, I always tell the Rebbe. And the Rebbe gives me chizok or tell me what to do. Right. So I walk in. I, I was watching the video. This time I said, let me just get some chizok. Maybe that'll be inspired. I'll think what to say. And yeah, it was Yud-based Thomas. And it was in the summer when the school's looking for teachers and I still have time to think about it. And the Rebbe's forbringing about the Friedrich Rebbe and the whole forbringing is about what was the whole Friedrich Rebbe's koch was that you should be mechanic the little children mm. because the whole idea they, in Russia they didn't care if adults learned Torah they weren't worried about infiltrating their minds and affecting them little kids is where you have to worry that you're going to impact mm. them for their lives so they didn't let little children learn Torah and the whole forbringing is that the power of teaching a young child when they <laughs> are yes when they are impressionable you're affecting their life forever when they're wow. little. You ingrain in them the power and on and on. And I'm like that. And as I'm standing in the camera, like zeros and sometimes on certain people. So Mrs. Rebbitz Mkarski from Tel Aviv was leaving to Eretzisol. And she ran in for a minute on the way to the airport to, to the Rebbe before she left. And she's standing behind me. And she says, Basia, do you notice the camera is pushed zeroing in on Rabbi Moshe Yitzchakecht? Oh, my gosh. And I see a picture in the school, but I don't know the image that well. So I didn't necessarily recognize wow. it. She punked, walked in the second I'm sitting there. Her, her airport punked, her plane is leaving when I'm there. And she knows Rabbi Yitzchak's face. And she knows me. She punked, mentioned it to me. She could have also not wow. mentioned it to me. I pushed it, felt like the Rebbe was talking to me. 
I got my answer. I had nothing to write to the Rebbe. I went in. I said, Rebbe, thank you for guiding me. And I'm sure you're going to give me the kaiches and the direction to do what I have to do. Wow. And you know, I mean, every day I used to walk in and I could feel the Rebbe's bracha and telling me, Yes, and I'm here for you. And I, it was amazing. I was there for a couple of years in seventh and eighth grade. Wow. I learned from them every day. I was inspired. And I know, no doubt, I know that the Abishtu was preparing me to work with children, younger mm. children. This is already like years after Gimel Thomas, many years later. Wow. So we have to remember go to the Rebbe, ask. The Rebbe's here with us. And there are many stories like this, but this is one specific one that Pashat stood out to me. Like so many Ashkachapats had to happen for this all for me to get my answer, and it happened. Yeah. It's so powerful. And like to anyone listening who's not Lubavitch, just to recognize the relationship that a chassid has to a Rebbe was always like on a Nishama level. And it's so clear after the Rebbe passed away that it's just purely Nishama level, you know, that like Hashem can orchestrate Ashkacha Pratis to show that like your parent is always connected to you and your leader is always connected to you. you know? Mamash. Yeah. It's such a beautiful story. Wow. When we get our answers now, there's no question. You know, I used to be in letters. I have, you know, for my shidduch, I got a beautiful answer when I was dating and all the, my past mitzvah, you know, the many times I wrote, I have a letter where I just wrote a pan when I was 18. Have, the Rebbe corresponded. He answered us. But it's not over. Like the Rebbe still is with us and still answering us. And, I, and I've written in, in the past and I didn't get an answer. Right. But I knew that was an answer. Mm. If I didn't get an actual letter in the mail or a response, the Rebbe was telling me no. That was an answer too. Oh, that's what you feel? That yeah. when you don't get an answer, it's not. I mean, if I was asking a specific question for uh-huh. a bracha, if I didn't get a bracha, I also felt like this wasn't meant to be. Interesting. I wanted to go somewhere, travel. And I, and I remember speaking to the maskiris, and that's what they would say. If the Rebbe's not answering or you didn't get a bracha, Interesting. Yeah. Because that was about to be my question to you, is that some people don't experience a feeling of correspondence after the Rebbe has passed, and they write in, they feel like nobody responds or nobody answers. So what would be your recommendation there? Like, how can you feel the connection, even if you don't feel you're getting answers? That's good. I mean, I always look at it like a parent relationship, you know? Sometimes we ask, and our parents are not, uh, they're not answering us. It's not a yes, you know? And they don't even want to say no. Then they don't want to, you're not ready to hear the, the harsh reality of the answer, perhaps. When you know what a Rebbe is and you know how much a Rebbe loves and how much a Rebbe cares, you know the Rebbe's with you. Then There's no question. You're getting the brachas and you're getting everything you need. It's hidden from you. It doesn't mean it's not there. If I ask a specific question and I don't get a yes or I don't get a bracha and it's shayach to something that I want to do, I probably won't do it. Wow. If it's something that I, uh, like, that I need to do and I need a bracha for, that's what I'm going to be as far. We're not understanding Sometimes I'm a spirit can better understand and explain what's going on. You know, we're, we're limited. <laughs> right. So but, to try to find guidance. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I go and I ask a bracha and I, I, to, I, I talk to the rabbi by the oil and I know the rabbi is listening and taking care of everything that has to happen. The rest is ashkachapatis. We have to do alpitev what we have to do. Right. Is that a question? But it's almost like, you know, when you're trying to reach your parent, please tell me, yeah, should I do this, should I do this, should I do this? And you can't reach them. Whatever the reasons, the phones are dead. Mm. You're going you're gonna to do what you believe in your heart is what you think is the right thing that they would want you to do or that you know that they would say to you. Mm. And you know that they're going to give you a bracha and whatever's bashet is going to happen. And that's what we do. Nice. That's a good analogy. I like that. Yeah. Are there any specific ideas from the Rebbe that you've learned that guide you in your life? You know, it's hard to pick a specific one. The Rebbe taught us so much. Everything the Rebbe taught me guides me without a question. Anything I do, I ask myself, what would the Rebbe say? So 
mamish, when I have to talk to a child, when I have to talk to myself, when I have to speak to at work, I, everything I think, I stop, I ask myself, what would the Rebbe say here? So really more than something specific that the Rebbe said, it's Pasha watching the Rebbe. Everything the Rebbe did. I mean, one thing that drives me nuts, honestly, is just when I think about the Rebbe becoming a Rebbe at my age, drives me crazy. Because I turned this year the age that the Rebbe was when he became Rebbe. Mm. And it literally, I can't relax. I keep thinking that if the Rebbe became Rebbe at my age, I should have so much I have to learn still. So mm. much I have to do. So a specific nikud of that, Beautiful. For, I would say now, it literally drives me I'm exhausted when I think about it. <laughs> Don't know what more I should, I could and should and have to still do if the Rebbe became Rebbe Ersht at my age. Nice. You can't retire. Uh, far from that. I know that I'm not doing enough. It's just the beginning. Yeah. That's powerful. Like looking at the Rebbe's model of living and leading as a way of figuring out how we should behave and how we should be. Yeah. Nice. What would the Rebbe say? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Probably the strongest, strongest, I would say, Mida is his Avas is the end of the day, all I think about is the amount of Mesiris Nevesh Rebbe had for Avas Yisrael. It probably wasn't Mesiris Nevesh for the Rebbe, because the Rebbe was just all, he saw, he saw Nishamas, we don't. So I guess for us, it's Mesiris Nevesh to try to reach the level of the Rebbe, seeing all Nishamas, mm. and how precious each, each Yid is, no matter what. And, and, and Lahav Dali his approach to humanity, to people. Yeah. So I would say probably that's the most impressionable Mida that when I have to think about my feelings towards others, it's just, at the end of the day, we're all the same. We're all, mm. we're all neshamas. Yeah. Yeah, and the Rebbe really modeled that. What does it look like to actually treat people like a neshamas? Yeah. 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 What is your advice to those who haven't met the Rebbe on being guided by the Rebbe in their lives? If someone recognizes the Rebbe as leader and wants to be connected, wants to be guided by the Rebbe's ideals, what is your advice on how to cultivate that type of relationship with the Rebbe and his teachings? It's a good question. I mean, even though I grew up so much with the Rebbe personally and has sought firsthand, I was inspired from a very young age because my father, Zalzang, is up in Stark. He grew up in Russia, Soviet wow. Russia. Okay? okay, He's unique to his generation because his family was one of the last left behind. They, they missed the last train out. Their father, his father was involved in arranging passports for everybody and he stayed behind with Rebendel Futafas and Mumasara and all the people. So his family, he was one of the youngest kids left behind. Mm. So he arrived to America when he was a 23 years old. He was there when most, many, many of the Chassidim already had left. So most of his young life, he grew up with a Rebbe. But that's like not true. It was, I mean, not, it wasn't physically in 770, but he, the, his connection to the Rebbe then was almost like ours now. So I grew up oh, learning from him a model that, and so I, I was able to appreciate so much more what it is to have the Rebbe, even though so many of my friends probably like took it for granted. That's like, I mean, like I had to get online. It wasn't even a question mm. to go to dollars. So my father described seeing the Rebbe for the first time in a picture, Rebbe Katz. Alavashal and Binyamin Katz came to, to Russia and he brought a picture of the Rebbe. My father was a kid then when he came, the Rebbe sent him to go see how the Chassidim are doing. It was going to be in a Chassid's house and at a certain time the Chassidim were allowed to come see the picture. And he describes washing Negalvasar and putting on Shabbos clothes and trembling. See it. Learning Chassidus and coming to see the picture. And he, they all walked around the table to get a close up. Everyone had a turn. You couldn't didn't touch the picture. You looked at the picture. Wow. And it was a whole, they fabrang the whole night that night. So 
growing up with that image in my own home and hearing stories like this gave me an advantage that I can't even tell you what it means. But why, why am I sharing this? Because for Chassidim, who never saw a Rebbe and doesn't have a Rebbe, you could have a relationship with a Rebbe. That's, that, for me, was an example of how that could be possible. That you, when you can learn about what a Rebbe is and really write to the Rebbe the way they used to and share with the Rebbe, and they didn't get answers many a time. The Rebbe couldn't respond, but they understood what a Rebbe was. They learned, they lived with it so that they felt it and they were getting the chizuk and the Rebbe was responding, look, he sent a shliach to them when it was almost impossible in those days. The Rebbe thought about them. So it's the same now. Learn about what a Rebbe Bechlal is. Because if you don't know what a Rebbe is, it's wonderful to hear stories, but you don't understand. It's not a regular person or a regular, I mean, Rabbanim have tremendous kaiches, but a Rebbe is just, on, it's a whole different level. It's a nasi adar. Mm. So when you can, first of all, learn what the Rebbe is about and learn as much as possible, find someone you like to learn from and learn the Rebbe's Taira, you will see Pashat how it guides you in your life and connects you. And then you go to the Ayahom and you build a connection. It grows. The more you are, you go and the more you learn, you feel a connection. It's very powerful that even then some people had a relationship with the Rebbe that wasn't a physical in-person relationship yeah. and to use that as a model of what it looks like to yeah. connect to someone just purely on a Nishama level. And their connection, I think, was so uniquely deep. Mm. When you see something, it's limited to what you see. By them, it was only in the spiritual connection. Your imagination is much broader than what your eyes see. Yeah. So they push it to them. The Rebbe was like, it was their life. It was everything. It wasn't like, okay, Sunday I'll go ask for a bracha. It was, the Rebbe lived in them. It was a whole different experience. Right. Also, like the physical reality of the world is just a fraction of the actual reality of what's going on. Yeah. So recognizing again that our relationship with the Rebbe is a soul connection just transforms the way you can approach it even after their past. Exactly. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure. Thank you. For our final interviewee on her relationship and memories with the Rebbe, we have Basia's sister-in-law. <laughs> I told you everyone is connected. Basi Deitch, who is a wonderful teacher and woman and just comes to us with beautiful insight into her recollections and personal involvement with the Rebbe's teachings. Hi, I'm Basi Deitch. I'm originally from Crown Heights. I now live in New Haven for the past 30 years with my family, and I'm just happy to be here. Nice. Thank you so much for being here. I'm excited to hear a little bit about your memories of the Rebbe and a little bit of your impressions of the Rebbe, what he means in your life and what your relationship has been and is with the Rebbe. So Great. if you could start just by sharing any personal recollections you have of the Rebbe during his lifetime. Sure. My earliest memory is actually going into Yechidus in honor of my father's birthday. I don't exactly remember the date. It was probably in the early 70s or what they say, the early Lamids. Mm. I was probably seven or eight years old. I knew it was a very serious situation because my father was uncharacteristically very, very serious mm. and nervous. And while we never had to be told to behave, he definitely gave us instructions, you know, stand straight, don't interrupt, don't mm. make any unnecessary noise, just look ahead. Like also we were told to behave. <laughs> and I think it was unusual that even a whole family got to go. It was just me and my brother. So 
you were there, well, four of us, and I, like I said, I remember f- having a vibe of intense Yera or something mm. like that because my mother kept positioning me in front of her as if she didn't want the Rebbe to see right through her or read her thoughts or something. Looking back, that's how the impression I got as that. But I actually remember another time going into Yechidus. It was in honor of my brother's bar mitzvah. Again, I think it was unusual that I was allowed to go in, but since we're only 13 months apart, the next month I was turning bas mitzvah. Oh, sweet. So while my brother was preparing in case the Rebbe asked him questions about his mimer or pilpil, I got to just enjoy the Rebbe's attention. Like he really gave me equal time. Wow. One message that I just stayed with me was that the ha'achana, the preparation for an event, is just, if not more important than the event itself. Hmm. So obviously there's different physical preparations, but I'm sure that meant a lot of spiritual connotation there as well. And that message really stuck with me for mm. till today. What would you say stands out to you from those moments where you had the personal interactions and you had a one-on-one interaction with the rabbit, like you mentioned, the rabbit speaking to you about preparing for your bas mitzvah mm-hmm. or things like that. Like what kind of stands out to you from those moments? Right. It just seemed that maybe as a wide-eyed child, things were just more stretched out in time and attention. After that, I always did get that sense, probably from not the Rebbe himself, of course, but the people around him, that the Rebbe can't be bothered, you know, rush run by, you have a question or you need a bracha, go ahead and ask, but keep moving. You know, it, 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 it just definitely gave us a sense that it will always be next week if we have to go. Mm. Or like, you're not going to go for dollars this Sunday? Well, there'll always be next week. And obviously that was a very regrettable decision because I wish I had gone more often. So I'm interested to know, because you mentioned that, again, there was this like tone of like, you can always go a different week. And also just that the rabbit's time was very precious and mm-hmm. you weren't going to waste the rabbit's time. So I'm wondering if your relationship with the rabbit has changed since the rabbit has passed away. And if yes, what has that change looked like for you? Absolutely. So when Gimel Thomas did happen, I was 28 years old. I had four ch- young children at home expecting my fifth. And the unthinkable did happen. And I was absolutely terrified because I had never been pregnant or gone through a labor without having gotten some kind of a bracha, even if it was just, uh, or it, to inform the Rebbe, but to get bracha batzlacha or Oscar alatzion, there was just always some kind of reassurance. And then it felt great. And like I said, I was pregnant with my fifth. So my fourth was a bit of a traumatic birth, postpartum complication. So now I was super scared. Mm. And how is it possible? And a whole summer, my daughter was born early cheshman. So a whole summer, I was just like closing my eyes, trying to conjure up the Rebbe's image and trying to just even connect in some way to say, I just need you now. And I just need to feel your assurances. And I have to say, I really felt that presence throughout my labor, the Rebbe's presence. And Talk, call it Rocha Kaidish or whatever, divine inspiration, but I immediately wanted to name my daughter. She was born Friday night, so shops the next morning, Chana, as a thank you. <laughs> I, mean, I was born during the, right after the Rebs and Chana passed away, and my 80% of my class was Chana. I liked having a unique name. Mm. So Chana wasn't on the top of a list to name one of my mm. da- children, but as soon as I experienced that warm, comfort, reassurance of, even if it was only in my mind, I felt the inspiration to call her Hannah. 
After the Rebbe's mother. After the Rebbe's mother, yeah. Beautiful. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. So after that, I just said, okay, there must be, like with small children at home, I probably did not learn as much. But now after Gimel Thomas, I looked for different ways to listen and learn and study the Rebbe's Sichas. And it became only easier as the internet developed and made everything so accessible in English. And there was no reason like in a car ride or mm. in the kitchen hours, you know, spent there anyways. So there's, I usually have something playing in the background, which only strengthens my connection. Yeah. Oh, so beautiful. And you said you started looking for other ways to connect. I'm thinking, I wonder if after the Rebbe passed away, you started having more interactions really with the Rebbe than you did previously. Because before it was like, don't bother the Rebbe and the Rebbe's time is precious. And now it's like, whenever you want to access the Rebbe's exactly, teachings, you can. Exactly. I couldn't have said it better myself. That's exactly how I felt. That again, when the kids were little and they were for bringing late at night or Shabbos afternoons, we weren't going anywhere. Mm. I, mean, I wasn't going anywhere. But now at a click of a button, you have libraries and treasure fulls of things to listen to. And, you know, Chabad.org, Yeshiva.net, I mean, name it. And it's just there at, a, at, your, at my disposal and everyone else's too. <laughs> yeah. I really connect to that idea that the Rebbe's spirit is captured in his teachings. What were people seeking to connect to when they came to visit him in person? What's that spirit and that neshama? Absolutely. So it's like, if that's what we want to connect to, we still can. Absolutely. So that's beautiful. It's beautiful to hear it from someone who had the interactions in the Rebbe's lifetime to still have that strong connection that you're developing. Yeah, I think I'm in that unique age group where I did not have the very intimate mm. relationship before, either because I was too young or... <laughs> stupid <laughs> to appreciate it and yet I have that to build on so I have the roots and now I have the tools and accessibility to it so wow. yeah I, I do think I fall, fall into a new category but I feel you know it's very for I mean I'm happy to feel fortunate <laughs> that's very beautiful wondering if you could share if there is a specific idea or quote or line from the Rebbe that stays with you that, mm -hmm. and, or that guides you in your life Oh, there are so many. <laughs> um, I hope you know. I hope I can accurately get this message across. But there was also a very powerful, powerful sicha, and sometimes I play over and over again. Where there, it was your days, Thomas Verbringen. Trying to remember the year. It was also Tevshin Menvav, in which the Rebbe was speaking very, very passionately and mentioning. I guess it was right before the three weeks, but he was mentioning the Ruggach of a Rebbe, saying that any generation in which the base of Mikdash, I guess he was quoting um, something, that any generation that the base of Mikdash is not built, it is as if it's being destroyed. Mm. And it like was really, really quiet. And the Rebbe was just getting more passionately in his speaking, saying at this point that we say Ad Masai and we're heading into the three weeks. And obviously, we, it seems like we might be mourning a destruction of the base of Mikdash from 2,000 years ago. But really, according to this passage, right now, right here and now, if it's not being built, it's as if it's being destroyed. Mm. He was being very specific. He said, it is now Yom Hamishi, Parshas Pinchas, Nach And if the base of is not standing now, then I think he was careful with his words, but it is a flame right now. And even if a man whose heart is made of stone would be witnessing it, he'd be yelling, Karavelt, Karavelt Heint. 
Like there's something like right now, I mean, we just can't be so complacent and, and get caught up in our day-to-day -day life and forget that it's not just something, uh, an episode of 2,000 years ago that we're mourning, but it's something that today that we can do something about and we must do something about. The gishrei of Admasai has to be so intense as if you are witnessing it right now. So that, every once in a while, like I'll play that over and over again. As in Taylor states, in Misha, by Nimna Bissan Migdir Biyongo, is Kiyibu Ikach Vikar, stellt mir sich vor, Bishas, was Nisra Bissan Migdir, und der Beistritt Ayin, was ist ein harter Ried, ein stinger Ried, mit allen Leben, und selbst was ist der Chorus Bissan Migdir Biyongo, wo der sich gekehrt hat, sorgt Taylor Sennis und Taylor Schein, ihr Wort daheim, Taylor Welt heim, and again, it just motivates me Like at that moment. You can't just go about your daily grind and, and forget what this is all about. Yeah. The visual of the Beis HaMikdash on fire. Mm -hmm. It's a very strong visual to elicit. Yes, I agree. Yeah. I agree. And, and again, it's just so easy to just get caught up into... And everything seems so petty next to that concept of we have to be doing something you know we're here on a mission we can't lose sight of what the rebbe has been so passionate and urging us about to get it done yeah caravelt caravelt mm -hmm. heint oh, yeah oh that's a good point yeah <laughs> i know not just like a general life theme but today yeah yeah because again it's now and otherwise we're just going to cross off another day on the calendar i like that you pointed out not just mm -hmm. turn over the world, but turn over the world today. Yeah, if you can really solve all the world's problems, just, you know, why would you push it off, right? <laughs> uh, or just, I guess. Even I'm a, a chronic procrastinator. <laughs> Listen, obviously, it's not, it's easier said than done, but it's, again, food for thought. Of, yeah. I'm curious, like, how do you interpret what it means to care about Hind? What it means to turn over the world? Mm-hmm. That's, that is a good question. I think it's something that the Rebbe also just kept empowering us. Like, you know, we can just think that little old me, what can I possibly do? And that's never how the Rebbe spoke to us and treated us. Whatever cliche you want to use or metaphor or a little jigsaw puzzle, it's incomplete without your input, without your piece. And I think with, again, Caravel sounds like, okay, how are we going to possibly have a global impact well, the Rebbe also stressed once at a Lagba Omer parade, I was right, as the Six-Day War was brewing and everybody was really, really scared and all the Americans thought they had to come home too. And the Rebbe was urging us at that Lagba Omer parade that, you know, the safety and security of Eretz Yisrael is in our hands and mm -hmm. control. So it's, if it's every mitzvah, I mean, again, we try to teach our children every mitzvah is a brick on the base of Mikdash, but literally every mitzvah is serving as a protection of every Jew year all over the world. So if it's the Kol Yisrael, Raven Zelazah, it's like a connection that we must feel with every Jew, wherever he might be. And maybe that's the basis of the shluchas mm. as well, is that every corner of the world, we are one body, one feel connection, and we have a, a way that we can help anybody, either if it's through bringing them 
you know, make them more aware of their roots or even introducing them to their roots in the first place. But everything that we do and say has that global impact and we could make that difference. Mm. Oh, nice. So it's not necessarily making an impact on a global scale in the way that we would traditionally look at it, but it's the idea that a mitzvah has such a significance on the entire world, one that we don't necessarily notice. Mm -hmm. So it's just feeling that sense of empowerment that my actions actually make a difference in rebuilding the base Migdash. Absolutely. I mean, even in scientists, I think have come up with the butterfly effect. However, you want to try to visualize it. But, you know, something happens in one corner of the world, it has its global impact and rippling effect all over. Yeah. And then someone just hears about your good deed and thinks and gets inspired to see how they can make a difference. Too. Yeah. I actually think that it becomes easier to understand now with how interconnected the world is through oh, the internet. So you start absolutely. to, yeah. it's almost like, to me, it's like the greatest metaphor for what the spiritual reality is. Yes, absolutely. I agree. So what would be your words of advice to either those who have met the Rebbe and are now currently living without the Rebbe's physical presence or those who have never met the Rebbe in their lifetime? What would be your advice on cultivating a relationship with the Rebbe, with his teachings and allowing him to be a real presence and guide in your life? Mm -hmm. That's a good question. But I guess it's what I've really been saying all along, that there's just so much at our fingertips that just learning the Rebbe's Sichas, I believe it was the Rebbe Shab that said, Ich gehe in Himmel, and to you I leave my Xavim. Mm. I not exactly the Yiddish phrase, but I think it's so impactful. I mean, obviously we want the Rebbe presence right here. But until we can actually have that, there's just so many ways that we can connect and learn his teachings, live by his teachings. And like I said before, it's every person that matters and counts. You know, his one of his the Rebbe's parting words were tut alts, mm. the Rebbe brought us very close to that finishing line. And if it's just up to us to cross it, then, you know, let's join hands and take that leap. Mm. Nice. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Elokai <laughs> zakinina Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. As always, you can find me on Instagram at humanandholy or via email at humanandholy at gmail.com. New episodes of the podcast come out every single Sunday morning. If you don't want to miss a single episode, then hit the subscribe button. If you enjoyed today's episode and could take a quick second to leave a rating or review, it means a lot to me and it helps other people find the podcast. Thank you so much for listening and I hope you have a wonderful day. <laughs>